Welcome to Lessons from Life, the podcast that gleams profound life lessons from everyday life stories. Hosted by Dustin Fenton and Brandon Hill. Hi, Brandon. Good to hear from you again this week. Excited to hop on the phone, and I understand that you have maybe brought a guest with you. I do. It's good to hear from you as well. Today, I have a colleague of mine, Carol Brown. Carol and I have known each other for about seven or eight years now and have developed a good friendship. Carol is one of the most creative people that I know, and her ability to take notes by drawing pictures is just absolutely amazing. Carol, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Hello. Thanks for having me. I am originally from Indianapolis, and I grew up in a family where we did a lot of outdoorsy things. My dad really enjoyed camping, and so we did a lot of swimming and fishing and hiking, and that is kind of connected to what I ended up doing, which I'll tell you the story today. to share with you an experience I had when I was just turned 18. I grew up doing a lot of sports and really loved to swim. And so I decided a summer job being a lifeguard sounded really nice. I could be outside and get a tan and (laughs) hang out with some kids and enjoy crystal clear pool. And so I applied for some jobs at apartment complexes and around town, and I ended up getting a couple offers, but both of them were part-time, and I needed to save. I was going into college my freshman year. I needed full-time hours, and I really wasn't going to get that with those pool jobs, so I ended up landing a job all the way across Indianapolis at Eagle Creek Reservoir, which is a big lake. I really didn't want that job and I was kind of scared of it, but my neighbor worked there. And so I ended up passing life-saving and going through that test, which is scary. So I'm at this big reservoir where thousands of people swam every day on a beach. It wasn't a crystal clear pool. We had a lot of rescues and we had protocol when we would hear a whistle blow. Uh, A single blow would just be to talk to somebody and ask them to not hang on the ropes or not to do something that was against the rules. And two whistle blows uh, would be to alert everyone and the other lifeguards that you had a rescue. And this was a large beach that drew people from all over Indianapolis. And in the summers, we exceeded 3,000 people. So it's pretty serious, sometimes intimidating place to work. You had to be alert all the time. And we did rescue people regularly. It had a floating raft out pretty far, a couple hundred yards, and we would take a rowboat out there to sit on a high chair for lifeguarding off the raft. It didn't have any diving boards or anything, but people would swim out there and jump off of it and do backflips and things like that. So I was working that. It was a very busy day at the beach. And sometimes you can spot swimmers who you suspect are gonna be trouble. Mm. And you can kind of get them turned around before they even start. So you'll see people standing kind of in shoulder deep water looking at that raft and you can tell they're uneasy. And uh, occasionally you could whistle and kind of turn them around. There were two grown men standing looking out and they both took off and started dog paddling toward the raft. And I thought, oh boy, whew. I'd had one or two rescues and they were okay, usually young children and usually somebody that was calm enough that you didn't have to actually like cross chest carry that you could just hand them the float and kick them out. 
I was really rooting for these two guys to make it and they were dog paddling faster and faster and as they got maybe about four feet from the raft one of them started screaming and yelling in panic and basically grabbed the other one and they both were hysterical and went down just went down gone just water on top and so the protocol is to blow two sharp whistles and dive in and normally you're just rescuing one person <laughs> i've never been trained on rescuing two but one of the things they would tell you is if the person was larger than you there were strategies to push them away from you or push them to the surface without getting grabbed because it was such a busy day no one heard my whistles and the idea is that other guards would come when they'd hear those whistles and so it was always kind of exciting when you weren't working the chair you'd hear the two whistles and you'd drop everything and go rushing out to the site but nobody came and of course i didn't know that at first so i dove in and i could barely see and this is a pretty murky lake a figure underneath and um, i pushed with my feet which is what how i was trained push them to the top and then back off away from them and so I felt like I was going to be about six feet away. And these men were probably in their mid to late 20s, 200 pounds each. I was probably 120 pounds. I came up thinking I would be quite a ways away. I wasn't sure that they would even be on top yet. And I just got swallowed by one of them and crushed. And I don't know if you've ever been close to getting hit in an accident or had something happen where you just in your mind said, I'm dead. That's what I said. There was no hope. I didn't even try. I was crushed. I don't really remember swallowing water, but I, I remember the screaming underwater of the two men and I had no fight in me. There was no hope. You know, you always hear about how strong a drowning person was. This is two people. But across my chest was the strap that connects to the rescue tube. And you've seen lifeguards with those mm -hmm. before. These were the foam ones that say lifeguard on them. Mm -hmm. I don't really think of it as that buoyant. But we thrashed around. And my then boyfriend, now husband, was a lifeguard. That's how I met him at the job <laughs> I, I didn't want. <laughs> and he was in a chair way across the beach. And he could tell it was bad. If you're in the chair, you don't leave it. Whoever is loose and not working a chair is who's supposed to come. Mm -hmm. So he blew two whistles so that he could alert the other guards. And he jokes now that he said, ah, oh, I was gonna marry that girl, but it doesn't look like she's gonna survive this. <laughs> anyway, I can't really tell you what happened. I don't know if it was a miracle. I did feel the strap across my chest and we were rolling it's a blur but we popped to the top all three of us with that float they were still screaming and carrying on finally a guard swam up to me and said you got it and that's pretty typical that the, the guard that comes to assist would ask you that and usually you just kind of act macho and say yes i couldn't talk <laughs> i had no breath and i had two people so obviously i didn't have it but he didn't quite <laughs> grasp that so the guard swam on by and his job is then to get in your chair and start covering the water again. I kicked in, just the rescue felt very sloppy. Mm. I felt like I was drowning and kicked in and these men were hysterical, especially one of them and had to kind of pry his fingers off my forearm. He's digging into me and they were crying. 
So they staggered off, and then I swam back out to my chair and was shaking like a leaf, but got back in my chair and finished my shift. And I was really wanting a normal rescue so I could feel like I do it properly because it felt terrible to me. Mm-hmm. But it was just very scary. I did not feel good about the rescue at all, but in the end they survived and I survived. Mm. So it wasn't the cush job I was looking for. (laughs) (laughs) That's interesting. You know, Carol, one of the things I was thinking at the beginning of your story was that I was going to say sometimes the problems we have are way too big for us and we need others to be there to to support us. But that didn't happen for you. Nobody (laughs) nobody helped you. (laughs) No, I guess not. Not at all. (laughs) So I'm not sure that that's a good lesson for this story, but I do think there are times in life when we do feel alone and we are wishing other people would come to help us. And even if we're asking for that help, none may come, but you still pushed through and made it happen. The other thing I was thinking was that even to this day, you're saying, I felt terrible, did not feel good, didn't feel right, but it still worked. Whatever you did saved both of those people and kept you alive. I'm not sure that particularly in crisis, if we try to do everything so it looks normal and right and perfect, that it's always going to work out. Maybe it did need to be done in this way so that you and they could survive. Well, you know, I have the strength of activator. Mm -hmm. And I think maybe if I would have waited for another guard to come, we could have gone after each man separately, but they literally sank. They Mm. were underwater. They weren't thrashing on the top. So you feel like you have to act right away. Right. The thing that stuck out to me was just the anonymity of of the people. I I assume that you you don't know who those two gentlemen were. You may have not gotten the name afterwards because you went back (laughs) to your shift and things along those lines, but you were able to change somebody's life. And obviously that was your job was to save lives and to guard lives. But, you know, how often do we bump into people or run into people who unknowingly we help them with a smile or with a hello or whatever the case may be and and maybe maybe save some some people's lives. So I bet that you're a lifeguard and have been a lifeguard in many more cases beyond this one. It just didn't seem as life and death to you, but maybe mm. to somebody else. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, it, being a lifeguard is a very tough job. Sound like that day you were tested and again like you said kind of beyond where you were wanting to be. I think thought, you know, I'm, I'm tan, I'm cool, don't pee in my pool was, was the <laughs> motto. But, uh, you know, you ended up more than you bargained for. Yeah, and I think everyone has to respect the water and lifeguards mm-hmm. do just as much as a non-swimmer. It's very dangerous. I'm thinking too, you know, about the point in the story where you're blowing the whistle and nobody heard you. I think that happens in life as well. You know, uh, Carol, you and I work with college students all the time, and I think sometimes they, they are trying to blow whistles and no one's hearing them when they are when they need help. And those whistles can be all kinds of things, but we don't always pick up on those signs. So I think it's, it's probably also a call to all of us to try and be a little bit more in tune with what we're observing and hearing around us to see if there are those cries for help where we can reach out and help others and maybe partner with other people to reach out and help those that are hurting. The good thing was that you were prepared. You had your whistle and that didn't work for you, but you did have your lifeguard tube. Whether consciously or unconsciously, you you did all the right things to get back to the surface and use that equipment. And so, yeah, I wonder also about just the tools that we have around us to help be able to kind of save some lives and and be a part of that. Are we always armed with those? Are we sometimes not prepared appropriately for the job 
those lifeguard tubes really do save you. <laughs> they because, do. They, yeah. It saved my life. And mm -hmm. the, the fact that it was attached to me was essential because I couldn't have hung on to anything. So it was wrapped across my chest diagonally. And that's why I was able to stay with us. Otherwise, I wouldn't have been able to hang on to it. I think one of the things, too, that's striking me in this story, Carol, is that you did everything you were supposed to. You followed all the rules by the book. And to some extent, I think that's why you and these men survived. I was on a kayaking trip, oh, about 14 years ago. And the law on that particular river was that everyone in the kayak had to have a life jacket on. And, you know, we hadn't gone more than three miles down the, the river. And some of the trip leaders took their life jackets off. And I was just flabbergasted at that. And at one point we stopped and I, I made some comment to them about, you know, you're setting an example here because everyone else took off their life jacket that's going to put us all at risk. I think as a leader, sometimes even though what we're doing may not be cool or we might be looked down upon, we still need to do what we know is right because a lot of these things mitigate the risks for us and for others that we're, we're leading. And so it's important that we follow the rules and follow the procedures to keep ourselves and our team safe. Well, Carol, it's been really good uh, talking to you. Thanks for sharing the story. I'd not heard it uh, before. I'm glad you survived. I survived. Yeah. It's, it's certainly been good to get to know you. <laughs> and you met your husband out of it, so it's all the better. <laughs> well, thanks, Carol. And thanks to our listeners. It feels like we've had several kind of horror stories in the last <laughs> few weeks. And maybe, maybe that's going to be a theme is that these moments in life that are really scary for us are the ones that are sticking out. And that emotion that comes with those scary events are what makes us remember the stories, but also we're learning good lessons from these events that are creating this fear and anxiety and emotion in us. Well, thank you, Carol. Thanks, thank Dustin. Thank you. Thank you, Dustin. We're, we'll see you all next week. Thanks for listening to Lessons from Life. We hope that you have learned a lesson today that will help you to be more fulfilled in life's journey. If you were inspired by today's episode, please subscribe and review. You can find Lessons from Life at LessonsFromLifeForYou.com. That is with the number four and the letter U. You can also find links to all of our social media on our website. We would love to hear the valuable lessons that you have learned from your life experiences.